You're listening to Dairy Voice, a podcast exclusively for the dairy industry. One of our sponsors of the Dairy Voice podcast is National DHIA. NDHIA ensures information accuracy and represents their members' interests. They are the direct voice for the dairy information industry. To find out more, go to dhia.org. Hello, everybody. My name is Juan Pinero, Assistant Professor and Extension Dairy Specialist for Texas A&M University, and I'll be your Dairy Voice host today. Today, uh, it is a personal pleasure to introduce Dr. Corny Dago. Um, she's an Assistant Professor and Animal Welfare uh, Specialist for Texas A&M University. So, Corny, could you please give us a little bit uh, background from uh, where you were raised and your education? Yeah, um, so thanks Juan for the invitation. I never anticipated that I would ever be participating with Dairy Voice, so I'm excited to be here. And so I grew up in the suburbs in north of Oklahoma City, and the animals that I got to know were the ones that were at the zoo. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was what um, really sparked my interest in animal care was I worked at the zoo since starting when I was about 13 until about 18, doing all of the, kind of the grunt work. And then I was able to get hired on to work in the summers. I have a bachelor's in zoology from Oklahoma State University. And during that time, I spent uh, six months over in Darwin, Australia. Um, I have a master's uh, from Michigan State University in zoo and aquarium management. And between my bachelor's and my master's, I worked. I got a job in between all of my degrees. And so I got a job as a zookeeper at the Batner Zoo. And so I was primarily a big cat keeper, but that job really got me interested in captive population management. Okay. And so that's how I ended up at Michigan State because they had a good program up there for that. You know, as you do with a master's degree, you figure out kind of what it is you're gonna do. And where I landed was the Smithsonian and they were looking at reproductive factors that influence or environmental and management factors that influenced reproduction in African lions. And so I worked with them to do some facilities assessments and then learned how to understand the reproductive endocrinology from them um, working in their lab and that uh, has been really valuable as I've been moving forward in my career because after I got done with the master's, again, I needed a job. And there was one of my former pro- uh, professors who had just gotten hired and she needed a technician. And she was in the animal science department and she was running projects with pigs and chickens and dairy cows and beef cows. And I was like, well, I've worked with everything at the zoo, so I can work with a pig. That's fine. Uh, So that's how I got exposed to food animals was really that job after my master's where it was like, oh, there are a lot of animals here, like a lot. And because it's hard to describe what a barn of like a 500,000 chickens really looks like. It's just really hard to describe. Um, But then it was also like, well, this impacts everybody. And so I decided to just kind of pivot my interest towards food animals. So so since I was really raised in a zoo animal care paradigm, that's the mindset that I have walking into food animal care. Mm -hmm. And so it's been an interesting journey to see how the approach to husbandry differs across industries. Um, And it's been really awesome to see how uh, much 
the dairy industry uses all the precision technology. It's been really, really cool to watch and to really get to, you really get to know the cow um, from the widgets that she, uh, that she wears. Yeah, I completely agree. It's very exciting to have all this data and, and be able to do research, especially for, for us, right? That we like to do research in. So after you did your master's and PhD, you continue working in, in if I recall correctly, in the academia, right? Um, can you tell us a little bit uh, your work experience for AM and, and here in AM, the work that you're that you are doing? Yeah, postdoc at Purdue and then ended up at AM. And when I got tired of AM, I looked around and I said, well, in Texas, cattle is king. And so I started to try and figure out how this whole beef industry worked and to understand where the dairy industry um, integrated with the beef industry as well. It's, it's a really interesting scenario to, to watch. And I think it's really interesting to explore conceptually and scientifically is that intersection between beef and dairy. Um, but so, yeah, but since I kind of got here, I found a honestly, like a certain kind of safe space research-wise at the feed yards. Mm -hmm. Because the first time I went to a commercial feed yard, I got out of the truck and I looked around and I was like, okay, cool. This is just a really boring zoo, right? Mm -hmm. We're all hanging out, <laughs> trying to just stay healthy and get everybody fed, you know, but someone's not going to pay 15 bucks to get in the door and walk around. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, it was that kind of, you know, I was like, oh, this is comfortable. I can deal with this. And so I've done some work looking at like some of my zoo skills, environmental enrichment, human animal interaction to see how that works with some of these agricultural animals um, and to try and play in knowledge spaces that haven't been um, really massaged much before. Um, so I've been doing that. We're exploring the use of dogs to uh, detect sick cattle using olfaction. So um, we're in the really early stages of that. And then uh, since I got to uh, just recently, we started working with a local dairy producer um, who is installing a fogging system uh, within his robotic barn. And so we're really we're taking a look at cow comfort and to see how effective that fogging system is um, for the cows, uh, either with their behavior or their productivity. Hey there, after you've finished enjoying this podcast, might I recommend you join me, Tim Hammerich, and our guests on Clarity at Work from Zoetis. We'll be talking genetics and their place on the dairy. You've got a seat at the table as we discuss innovations, what's next for the industry, and more. I have to find the value in everything that I do, and I still find value in Clarified Plus, so we're going to continue to use it. Just search for Clarity at Work wherever you listen to podcasts. Once you finish with this podcast, of course. Let, let me um, ask you to expand a little bit on, on the dogs. How, how do they um, ID cattle that may be getting sick through all action? I mean, cattle communicate a lot through pheromones. Okay. And it's stuff that we do not perceive. And so it's a matter of teaching the dog what a specific smell to look for. With regards to dairy farmer installing this fogger system, potentially to, you know, uh, <clears throat> have some more heat abatement, how do you think that may impact dairy cows' behavior? Do you think it will change? Perhaps their standing or lying time, maybe perhaps reduce it 
panting, respiratory rate? Um, what, what would you anticipate or hypothesize that, that you may see which changes in behavior? Well, in Texas, it's hot. And <laughs> so, uh, you know, we're really starting to take a strong look at heat stress. And this is a really good paradigm to start testing that because we don't have to make hot. Mother Nature does that for us. And it's becoming increasingly relevant for producers that are in northern environments that experience these odd heat waves every now and then that kind of what we're dealing with here in Texas might be useful up there, you know, just so, you know, my anticipation is um, trying to see if there are individuals that uh, deal with being hot better than others. So kind of looking at coping strategies, looking at differences in lying and behavior, rumination behavior and productivity with this specific um, project, you know, I would anticipate that once the foggers go in, if the cows like them, they'll lie down more and ruminate more. Uh, mm -hmm. That's the anticipation. So fingers crossed, they do what we hope, but they have their own prerogatives sometimes. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> sometimes we find some research projects and have great sound hypotheses. And yeah, you know, yeah, like that's the, not over it's kind of like this whole approach with using, like when you have a chance to use robots and widgets, it's kind of like a, a big data analyst dream, you know, cause you've got all the different kind of things coming in and then it's just matching them up and putting the pieces of the puzzle together so that you can really start to ask these questions that people are like, well, how do these things connect? And mm -hmm. so fortunately, we're starting to be able to do that a little bit better because we're understanding more about data management and then we're better at collecting the kind of data in the first place. Like mm -hmm. the widgets are better, we understand them better, we're better at using them. Have you run out of silage? Had to buy expensive, marked up feed to fill the gap? Maybe production's dropped due to lower dry matter intakes. Are molds or mycotoxins creeping through your piles or bunkers? And pitching the rot is a dangerous pain. Oxygen is the enemy. Pack it out, then keep it out with Seal Pro, the professional grade silage barrier film protection chosen by top professional farmers like you. Make more, better, safer silage with Seal Pro. Learn more at sealprosilage.com. Courtney, just to clarify, these are two related projects that you are doing with dairy farmers, but two different ones, right? One is with, with the foggers, and the other one would be trying to ID cows that will better adapt to um, heat, yeah. with heat stress, right? Yeah, I didn't know how far in the weeds you wanted me to go with all of it, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, so we recently got um, some funding from the Agricultural Genome to Phenome Initiative. Yes. Uh, and that's uh, through the USDA. Yes. And they're providing support so that we can start developing the strategies to build a database that uh, starts tackling some of these big data questions. Mm -hmm. uh, so we've got a really great team involving uh, geneticists, dairy produce, dairy extension specialists uh, from uh, across the country. Yeah. So I'm really interested in looking for um, are there cows based upon historical production records that can maintain their level of productivity even when it gets hot you know the we're really looking for that cow that can take the heat without skipping a beat 
And, you know, so the goal is to use historical information to start identifying different parts of the country and looking at variation across the country in the heat stress response itself. And then the how much it changes based upon region. And we can start asking some more uh, specific genetic related questions kind of once we have a scope of what it looks like on the flip side, like on the animal side. Right. So that one. Uh, 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 yes, that, that makes a lot of sense. And, and the value of that research would be that then when, um, if and, and when we do identify those cows, uh, we can study their genome and try to select for those genes, right? For those traits to. Yeah, I'm trying to figure out what is, what do they do or look like that makes them able to cope with stress, with the heat stress? Is it a nervous system thing or is it a behavioral thing or is it both? And those are kind of the questions that we're asking is, you know, there are clearly some that do better than others. And so what makes the ones that do better different? Yeah, it would be very valuable data for dairy farmers and, and genetic companies to try to select for those traits. And genomics has been um, of great help. Uh, I mean, we have to look for, I think we really have to think, you know, really futuristic with this because we already have some projections on what to expect. And the biology of the animal can't necessarily match the pace of the climate. So you know, making these efforts now, I think, will yield really long-term residual gains. I absolutely agree. Cows keep increasing milk production at a perhaps 1% rate every year, and that implies that they are eating more with more take. That's more fermentation with more fermentation in the room, and that's more heat production. That's why they... They are so prone to, to heat or stress much more than, than we are lactating and pregnant. And I have been yeah. both. And I can guarantee <laughs> you that both of those things independently make you hot. And then yeah. if you're both, then forget it. Like, <laughs> yeah. no wonder they're hot. <laughs> yeah. I think that covers most of the questions that I had, but um, if you have any final comments that you would like to share with the audience, feel free to. Otherwise, thank you very much for your time. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. I, well, I had a fun conversation, so. Yeah, you have a nice evening and a nice week. Thank you. Thank you, you too.